Today on the Video Maker Podcast, Chris and I talked to Joanna Noggle and Evan Buxbaum, the editor and EP of Some Good News, respectively. If you haven't seen Some Good News, it's a YouTube series that you really should check out, uh, started by John Krasinski. It started just at the beginning of the pandemic when it hit the United States, uh, and it's really kind of an entertainment and news show, which is you know very positive in nature. Um, it kind of went viral as everyone uh, you know started to become stuck in their homes. A really, really fantastic series, and I encourage you to check it out. Um, also, if you've been listening to the podcast and you enjoy it, as always, we would love it if you went over to iTunes and gave us a five-star review. iTunes is still the place where uh, you know podcasts are made or broken, so those five-star reviews are really helpful for podcasts like ours. Okay, so enough with the announcements. Let's get started. Welcome to the Video Maker Podcast. I'm Mike Wilhelm, and with me, as always, across the building this time, Chris Marlox. And like above you, so it's yeah, a, a different right. organization than we normally do, but yeah, uh, that's right. I'm, uh, I'm looking down on you, so <laughs> it's like brain yeah, we need like a center position, you know, like if Nicole was here, she'd be the center position. Yeah, right. um, also, a special guest today, we have Evan Buxbaum, the EP on Some Good News or SGN, and Joanna Noggle, editor of Some Good News. Uh, how's it going, guys? Very good. Doing great. Yeah, great. Thanks for having us. Good, good to have you. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for joining us. So where are you guys calling us from today? Uh, I am calling from my place in uh, Bedside in Brooklyn. And I'm actually calling in from my parents' place in New Jersey, Union County. Uh-huh. Yeah, we were just talking about how that's like one of the luxuries of, if there is any luxuries of our situation today, is we can all kind of be wherever we want to be, right? Very yeah, true. whether we want to be there or not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so actually, before we get started, um, if, any, if no one has, uh, if people who are listening uh, haven't seen some good news, they really should check it out. This is a uh, a YouTube series started by uh, uh, John Krasinski of uh, The Office fame. And and, um, and uh, Evan, uh, how, you were the EP on the project. Uh, maybe you could tell us, like, how did this project get started exactly? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I was one of, a, one of a couple of EPs on the show. Um, you know, for us, really, it started uh, with a pretty random text on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Uh, we, we got a text from a friend of a friend, um, who knows, uh, John Krasinski and John was looking for someone to partner with, uh, to edit and bring it through in post and sort of help on the, on the back end production side. And, uh, that was actually the first morning, uh, that morning was the, was the day that the first episode launched. So we, uh, got, we were put in touch with John Krasinski for the first time about 12 hours before it launched. <laughs> wow. Uh, and uh, we worked all day, uh, you know, for us the challenge that day was just to, quite frankly, get out an episode <laughs> in one day. Um, and that was sort of, that was, that was it. That was the beginning of the whole process. It was wild. Now there was like, uh, I guess this must have been a soft deadline, I guess, right? So if there's no... There's no scheduled airtime. We're talking about a, a YouTube series, right? Yeah, it was it was a soft deadline in the way that it wasn't a soft deadline. Uh, they, they always, <laughs> but John had always had the idea of getting it out Sunday nights um, as sort of like an end of week, beginning of week show, and we really wanted to honor that. Obviously, as challenging as it then became, you know, for anyone who's ever worked on a weekly show. Um, you know, I think all those people probably know how, how time intensive that is and how, what an insane crunch it can be, you know, like shows like SNL come to mind, but there are a lot of YouTube shows that do it as well. Uh, and so, you know, that day was a, 
was was a pretty insane ride and then it kind of continued in that way for the next eight weeks it just sort of seems like when you have a weekly show no matter how much time you have it's always like one second enough you know like you can always fill it no matter no matter how much you have especially when it's only like three or four days or you know 20 minutes. And now you both um, are part of a, a, a business, a post house, senior post, I guess, right? So, um, so Evan, you are the EP, and um, Joanna, you're a, a partner at at, um, at senior post, but you're also the editor of this project, right? Correct. Yes. So, uh, were you looped in basically at the same time? Like, uh, you had to jump in the day that it was supposed to go live, or or, or be published, I should say. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, the great thing about Senior Post is our core team is really small. So when a really exciting opportunity comes in, kind of the five of us all attack it together. And for something like this that was really time sensitive, we kind of put our heads together. And I it was like one of the first Sundays in quarantine. And I was like, wow, what am I going to do today? I guess like clean out my closet. Like I was like, I, I don't even know what I'm going to do. And then all of a sudden this project came in like a hurricane. Um, but in a really fun way that we all kind of put our heads together and we're like, okay, they want this to go live tonight. How much can we do to it before then to make it feel, you know, more exciting and, uh, you know, more representative of the work we want to do and make it as appealing to as many people as possible. Uh-huh. So, um, the first episode that I saw of SGN was the, um, the Hamilton episode. Uh, mm-hmm. that, w- that wasn't the first one though, right? There was a, a couple before that. That was the second episode. The first one uh, was the interview with Steve Carell, where uh-huh. it was basically just John and him uh, kind of talking and reminiscing. It was like, I think, the 15-year anniversary of The Office. And so they were kind of reliving some of their favorite moments and uh, reconnecting. And then, yeah, Hamilton was the second week. So I just remember watching Hamil- the Hamilton episode, and I was thinking, man, this must have been a huge pain to put together. Like, uh, Chris and I were talking about this before the uh, the uh, this this podcast started because we were trying to get all of this stuff in order, right? Like the four of us on screen and recording. And you guys had I don't know how many people there were. There must have been like fifteen people on screen at the time, right? And audio syncing issues, right? Everyone has to be in time with one another. Um, so I mean, I guess in one sense it's fortunate that that wasn't the first episode. But after you turned out that episode with um, with Steve Carell. Did the next one, like, literally, it took you, like, I guess not the whole week. They had to shoot the thing, I guess, right? But but how did, what was the the, the uh, post-production process like, the difference between those two episodes? Yeah, so the first week, we kind of inherited the project. And so we took it over for kind of just the last stretch. And the second week was the first week where we came in earlier. And by earlier, I mean, like, Thursday. So it still was a really tight turnaround. Um, just because they need those first couple of days to check everyone's, av- check everyone's availability and get every- all their ducks in a row. Um, and I guess without giving away too much of the editing magic behind Hamilton, which wasn't, you know, it's not a secret or anything, but it was basically like kind of like half live done and half individual videos the cast had sent. Um, because they had done some practicing and it was tough getting the timing exactly right. And so having the individual videos as backup to cut to was able to uh, make everything feel a little bit more seamless. But, um, you know, the little girl, Aubrey, was still completely surprised. That was all authentic. And, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda popping up in the screen, that was a very genuine reaction from her losing her mind. And uh, uh, the cast was just, like, so gracious to be able to, you know, 
practice doing all of it and then pulling it off for her, then sending us the backup videos. So um, there was a, a lot of layers of video. I forget how many exactly. I think like 21 or something with all the different cast videos. But uh, it was fun to put it together. I love the soundtrack. So I was like, I was, I've been practicing for this job for the last two years because I listened to Hamilton 400 times. So mm -hmm. I was very qualified to edit that piece. <laughs> That was something that I think continued on sort of throughout the series. You know, we, everything was real, as you saw it. It was live, it was real. You know, that stuff was being done um, for real. None of the reactions, you know, people were fabricated. Um, but we always tried as much as possible to get another take from the people who were dialing in, um, just in case something went wrong. So what you're seeing is the majority of it is it happening in real time. But every now and again, we had the ability to cut in an alternate take from um, our pre-planned call-in, um, you know, from, uh, you know, Martha Stewart or Oprah, et cetera. So we tried to get a little bit of extra there, just to have something to cut with. And that was pretty much the whole show was like that. So Chris and I were speculating about how everything came together. And uh, we assumed that, that, you know, everyone was singing along to a recording in their ear. So that was the timekeeper. Is, is that a, about how it, how it came together? Or were they literally trying to like keep in time with each other over Zoom? So for the actual surprise of Aubrey, they were singing all together and it actually sounded pretty good. And we did use some of those vocals. Um, and then for the rest of the cast, everyone had the same recording. It might've even been just the original cast recording. And then they all sang that, you know, at the same starting point. And so we could sync that up on our end um, and then kind of layer them as needed. Um, Makes sense. And, yeah. And then mix together everyone recording. They were basically listening in headphones, recording their own audio. And then Jay, our wonderful mixer was able to, you know, level it out a little bit. And I mean, these are like, you know, such raw talented people that they were just like, Oh yeah, I'll just record this on my iPhone real quick. And sounded amazing so it's pretty impressive that song's got to be like the click track in the studio right it's just a, you got to sync everybody together the performance is is their skill and their ability but you know with technical uh, latency that's you know, a hard thing to to sync up and amongst so many people mm -hmm. yeah totally we we definitely had a little bit of help in the editing room of making sure uh it all lined up correctly but i, I really didn't have to do too much which was great you know everyone you know, had a really solid take and they had performed it together so many times, you know, probably for a whole year on Broadway that uh, that was definitely an added benefit of them knowing the timing really well and knowing how to replicate the same thing over and over. So is it safe to assume that, uh, that the post-production team is all working remotely out of their homes or in their family's homes? Yeah, absolutely. Everyone was working, you know, we are actually, our team is pretty much all in the tri-state area, our immediate team. Um, and then in some of the later episodes, we were working with people on the West Coast, which proved to be a huge advantage because their day started a little later and ended later. And we were kind of uh, dividing the episodes into segments so we could be like, okay, you work on this part, I'll work on this part, then we'll swap project files, we'll put them together. Um, our online editor, Christian, was really good about, you know, making sure he had a copy of all the media as well so we could just be reconnecting files pretty seamlessly without losing time being like, oh, did you download this? You have this. And then it allowed us to swap things back and forth in a way that we wouldn't normally have to do if we were sitting next to each other, but was crucial to be able to pull this off remotely. Yeah, uh, it, it is, it's totally accurate to say that since for the last, you know, since the first day that we ever heard of some good news, none of us have seen each other in person 
and none of us have ever met John in person or his production team, mm. Sunday Night Productions. None of us have ever been in the same room since the show started, which is kind of a crazy turn of events for 2020, but here we are. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> so before all this happened, I assume you guys uh, at, uh, at Senior Post were all working out of a, the same facility. So is this, is this new for you? Brand new, yeah. We have uh, we have a beautiful uh, post house in Dumbo in Brooklyn. We actually have the it's the largest post house in Brooklyn, um, also the largest uh, not open post house in Brooklyn right now, uh, <laughs> with all the other ones. Uh, so that's been kind of wild. Uh, but yeah, we we've all been we've all been working from home, but our, our facility is there, and hopefully we get to go back to it um, pretty soon. So I'd imagine the the hardest part about this, you know, outside of not being able to look at each other in the eye, you know molecularly, um, is just like the transferring of files and, and sharing that kind of stuff. Am I, am I right about that? Or are you guys encountering other challenges as well? The organizational aspect was definitely uh, something we got really good at by the last week. And it seemed like, um, you know, we had eight weeks to kind of perfect this. And I think the last week was the most seamless it went because we learned a little something every week about um, if you're recording a Zoom and save the file, it's always going to be labeled just Zoom zero. And so the third week we realized, oh, we need to start putting, you know, Zoom zero Oprah or Zoom zero Spielberg if you're going to be having multiple Zooms that you're recording. Um, and so we basically had like a list, like a Google Doc that had all the links to things we would need to download. So every editor and assistant editor and the online editor had a separate download of all the files named the exact same way so that when you're reconnecting a project file, it would easily just know where to relink up things. Um, but that's difficult. Obviously, things slip through the cracks. This show, you know, we're constantly hearing, you know, add this other tweet and, you know, add this video. So that can come in really last minute. So our post producer, Liz, was really good about saying we got a new asset. Let's put it in this document. So that when people say, oh, I'm missing the video of, you know, the old man singing to his wife in a nursing home, we can look back and see where it was instead of digging through emails and, you know, Slack conversations. Um, if you weren't extremely organized, that stuff could get lost so easily. So there's there's lots of sources of footage, right? So, they, you know, you have John's camera, you have the Zoom calls, uh, you have like a bunch of, you know, YouTube videos and TikTok videos and all that kind of stuff, right? So who, are you guys uh, collecting all those things or is that someone on John's team that's doing screen recordings or going to the source for, for these original recordings? How are you guys, how are you guys collecting everything? Yeah, sort of all of the above. Um, you know, there's a pretty robust backend team associated with it um, of which we are a very small part. Um, you know, there was a social team, there was a team pulling social quotes, there was a team doing social work, there was a whole team associated with that. John and his team were combing. Uh, obviously, you know, footage was coming from all over the places. If you think about sort of like a, a large funnel that had multiple inputs and it would all sort of funnel down <laughs> into the distiller of John and his production company. Uh, and then that funnel would flow to us. We would take it, turn it into some form of an edit uh, you know, and then begin going through rounds of review and swapping things in and out of the funnel, uh, and, and giving it back to, to John for approval. I think that's pretty much the process But uh, Joanna, let me know if that sounds about right to you. Oh no. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they, you know, John's team really drove the process with pulling the tweets and choosing who to highlight. 
Um, and then we would then have our assistant editors rip those assets from there, put them all together. Um, and obviously John was doing all that recording himself in this house. Um, so he would send those files to us, you know, via Dropbox or something like that. Um, and then we would be putting it together in the timeline, but, uh, they really were like, here are the assets, you collect them, organize them and make it into something that has, you know, structure to it. Every week, the, the week, the structure of the week pretty much went, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, John and the team and everyone were deciding what this week was going to be. So, you know, everyone was deciding what the episode's going to be uh, and sort of all that pulling would, be done at, would begin at that point around Tuesday or Wednesday, Thursday. Thursday, Friday would be production. Um, and that was obviously John in his house with, uh, you know, some cameras and uh, his wife, Emily, obviously, <laughs> whoever was there. Uh, all of the, the news sections would be filmed at that point. So moving into Friday, Saturday, Sunday is when we would start cutting all of this up and putting it together. So every week we had about two and a half to three days, if we were lucky, to cut um, you know, the full episode. Uh, and the rest of the week progressed like that. And then you know, Sunday was always like the end game, which is like, <laughs> finish the cut and you know, try to get a sound pass on it and get it out. <laughs> which is always, always proved for a very exciting Sunday. <laughs> So, um, are you, is this a type of, you know, quick turnaround TV style workflow normal for you guys? Or did, did, is this, is this a new, a new thing that, that uh, you guys have had to, had to learn? Uh, I'd say weekly stuff like this is new. Um, you know, we're not accustomed traditionally in, in the past. Our company doesn't do a lot of weekly shows, um, like this. We did do a bunch of shows. You know, we ha we do post on a, a bunch of shows that you know, Joanna can talk about more that are always fast paced, but they're much longer. You know, Joanna's finishing up. Uh, she's the editor on, on Rami on Hulu right now, and they're finishing that up. And there's always a rush, but never it's never you know turning around one episode from start to finish in a week. So mm -hmm. a little bit different in that regard. Something we're adjusting to there. Mm -hmm. Now the, um, the kind of the aesthetic of the show, at least from um, from the photography side of things. It makes you feel like as you're watching it, that, oh, this is John Krasinski with his iPhone and then he's taking this footage and, and you know, tinkering at home and he's putting this thing out. But the editing is, is, is very tight. So I'm curious about um, whether or not that, that sort of side of the show that is, it seems like it's intentionally got kind of a YouTuber aesthetic to it, has afforded you any, any kind of leniency or room to, to, um, to, I don't know, just like do things that you wouldn't get away with on a show like Romney. Yeah, I, I think that that's a really good way to put that, that leniency in making it feel a little bit homemade. And I remember we had a whole discussion early on about, you know, should we putting more graphics into this? Should we be making it look a little bit more slick? And John and John's team was really like, no, we want this to feel like anyone could make this at home. And by the last episode, he, you know, we were able to highlight a lot of people who recreated their own SGN. And I think that is kind of the beauty of it is everyone's at home, maybe having this pent up creativity. And if this is something that, you know, kids or even adults are inspired to recreate on your own, that's so fun and hopefully bringing other people joy. So that's kind of like the heart of why the show was made to begin with. Um, but yeah, I mean, compared to other shows, we were, you know, maybe punching in on things that got a little pixelated or, you know, adding in videos that are a little bit grainy or the audio peaks. But 
if they had the emotion and they had that kind of like human representation, that was what mattered more. And, you know, these episodes aren't passing QC. They're not going through, you know, they don't need to be displayed in 4K. It was like, oh, well, we only have this video of, you know, these two people hugging after being in quarantine at, you know, 720p. Should we still use it? And the answer was always yes, of course. Like, (laughs) it makes us cry. Let's use it. So I definitely think that they intentionally were like, it's okay if it's a little rough around the edges as long as it makes people feel something. Yeah, VHS accepted here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. So well, was, now, go ahead, Chris. When I was watching it, what I noticed so is just the just a lot of room noise in, in John's uh, stand-up or, or, you know, whatever he's doing there. And and, and that the, there had to have been a point where it was like, well, we could get him a mic, but there's not necessary for the format or of course the charm of the homemade feel uh, to it. I, uh, we, we make a lot of content for just YouTube, but uh, we're also trying to teach people how to make the best type of video you can. So it's always a, a hard fight. It's like, is it, does it jump cut? Is that acceptable? You know, is, is yeah, a little peaking or, or those kinds of things or, or a little pixelation, is that acceptable? And it's really all about the destination there. Um, though I think it's also more format uh, based, but YouTube has uh, so many people breaking the rules that people have just accepted so many of them uh, not being, um, I mean, distorting uh, sound is a meme, <laughs> you know, it's, so it's, it's so people play with it, you know, and a lot of times we would just have, sorry, Evan, I'm going to interrupt. I was going to say, like, if we were recording, you know, we're on Zoom right now and there's four of us. And if we really wanted to have a single of someone to hide a cut, a lot of times we were just zooming in on them and it would get a little pixely, but also that could also be someone's internet connection wasn't that good. So we also were able to get away with stuff uh, because everyone knows that it's a little bit ragtag DIY scrappy, you know, production making. So I personally don't mind that, you know, like having it feel a little bit rough around the edges. Um, but that was definitely one thing that we were like, Oh, this, we wouldn't be able to get away with this always, but right now having it a little bit pixelated is okay. That's going to be the new, um, the new internet uh, transition for video is like the, uh, short on connection pixelation and then all of a sudden it cuts to something else. It's like, oh, you just got to cover something up and you did it fakely, not uh, because your uh, internet dropped. That's, that's clever. Exactly. It's actually very, it's a sort of anecdotal, but we have done a, another couple few jobs since SGN where we've done live events with people sort of on the commercial side. And we found ourselves in one job we did recently, somebody's internet connection was really good. And we were like auto buffering it. Like we were we, in the edit, we were stuttering it to like fix some like cuts and make it match other people's footage. Like that's the kind of crazy world we're in right now where we're, you know, basically taking footage and putting a bad internet connection like layer on it. <laughs> yeah. Every cam- camera manufacturer is just uh, running as fast as they can to make it so that their camera can be a webcam so that finally the news can have, you know, deeper, uh, better shots from home and, and whatnot. I, I don't imagine many of them are going to be able to get it out in fast in time enough, but you can tell if anybody's into photography when they, and you see there's, oh, your shot's a little nicer. Okay. You don't have a bunch of headroom. It's not just a talking head. Literally. Like Mike's shot. Mike's shot was beautiful. It was killing it. It was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah, was awesome. that cave he's in now, terrible. But before it was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, my, my webcam was a C200, and now it's an iMac. <laughs> Um, okay, so let's see. We got a handful of other questions for you, but before we get to them, I just want to take a quick uh, ad break and we'll be right back. For years, Video Maker has been producing quality video training to help you take your video skills to the next level. Now you can access it all from a Video Maker Plus account. 
We've got courses covering everything from learning how to navigate your camera with our course on camera controls and settings to learning about color grading or even how to start a video business. VideoMaker Plus has something for you. The VideoMaker library is split into four levels. If you're just starting, try our inexpensive starter level membership, which gets you access to essential video training and a digital subscription to VideoMaker Magazine. For the most professional training, go all the way up to our professional tier membership, which gives you access to our entire library of training, which covers advanced concepts like running a video business or becoming a documentary filmmaker. Plus, the professional tier is the only membership with access to our popular webinar recordings. Plus, right now, for a limited time, you can get the professional tier of VideoMaker Plus for the price of the creative tier. That's $100 savings. Sign up at videomaker.com slash springdeal. That's videomaker.com slash spring deal. Okay, and we're back. So uh, the big news actually of the last week or so is the fact that uh, uh, some good news was acquired by CBS. Um, and I guess I'm just wondering, like, first of all, do you know if that means that you guys are going to continue to be the post house for the show? And then secondly, do you have any speculation about uh, what that means for the show itself outside of John being gone? This is the sort of homemade aesthetic you know, the fact that it lives on YouTube, any ideas about what might happen there? Yeah, I think so. First of all, uh, whether we're going to uh, continue to work on it, um, indications are that we will, and we uh, hope that that is the case, obviously, and we'd be very excited to. Um, so that's all very preliminary. Um, and again, have no exact idea there yet, but um, it looks as though, as though we will have an opportunity to, and um, really, obviously, extraordinarily excited for that next step. Um, in terms of what it's going to turn into, you know, those talks are all obviously very early. Uh, I have what I, you know, think it, it could turn into. I think there are a lot of really wonderful opportunities for it to make its way into the CBS family in a news capacity segments there as a show. You know, there's obviously a lot of, there's a lot of conversations going on there. I think there's a really beautiful opportunity for it to bring some of that DIY ethos and some of that, um, connection to its audience ethos. I think, you know, for me, that was the really impressive one of the really impressive things about the show is the way in which it engaged audiences and that will obviously be different in a cbs community um in a cbs on in a cbs platform but i think there's ways that this show can really bring that to that platform and that would be really exciting you know ways in which the audience can still interact ways in which we can have these fun sort of interactions with the people who are watching it which really makes the ecosystem and the experience so different from anything that's happening um, on TV right now. I think that's what, that's what I'm really excited for. Uh, and, and just can't wait to see where it goes. I think it's uh, really interesting because, uh, you know, you got the, the, you get the first couple episodes are happening at the same time at all the late night shows had to figure out what they're doing and that they're doing the same thing. You know, I mean, it's, it's different, uh, uh, in that it's a long, um, you know, some uh, product already exists out there or whatever, but it's just interesting that they're mimicking what can be done that way. Uh, I remember Mike and I talking about it just before, uh, uh, you know, what, what is going to come? Are people going to accept webcams on television? Uh, you know, we kind of got that a little bit, but it would be like the second someone started to drop, we'd be like, okay, and we're moving on, you know, versus now kind of hanging with them or, or uh, you know, having planned for those kinds of things to, to play along. Um, do, do you guys, I mean, I, I feel like you guys are pretty influential in that. Do you, do you see in the same same way of uh, that uh, you might have influenced the the big dogs into to coming down to your level a little bit different? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the show definitely did. Um, you know, 
us ending up in the middle of that is just one of those things where you wake up one morning and you just happen to be in the right place at the right time. And I think we're all incredibly um, thankful for that opportunity and to have ended up in the middle of that. Um, you know, for me, this show, SGN did in many ways what a lot of other shows couldn't because it, it was born in this environment. You know, there was no other world where this show really could have been made. Not only could it be made during this pandemic, but this was like sort of the only time it could have been made. You know, it was like, this was the time when this was meant to be born. And so when I, you know, for other shows that were trying to transition into this world, I think it was in some ways natively tougher. We didn't have any preconceptions. It just was a show that had to be right now. And I think factors led us to be involved with that and, you know, led it to happen in the world. And it was sort of this incredible, this incredible moment. I think it was very unique for this show and definitely in my life uh, in terms of being involved with shows. So I want to bring it back to, to the editing process. Um, you know, video maker audiences is all about learning how to be better editors. They, they're people who want to, you know, do what you're doing um, sometime. Right. So, um, you know, there's like this extra dynamic now that uh, everyone, well, maybe it's not an extra dynamic, but everyone is, is a part. You're all editing this project, which was, uh, I guess an eight week project. Is that right? And, uh, so there's more than eight episodes. I think, right. There's like a couple of short two minute things, but, um, at any rate, uh, I want to know, like, what's the collaboration process like during editorial? Like, um, Joanna, are you really the, the owner of that timeline or are other people in there? Are you doing like a, a collaborative timeline process? How does it work? Yeah, well, for the first couple of weeks, it was really just our core team. Um, and, uh, was primarily just me and an assistant editor putting it together. And then, Another thing that kind of naturally happened each week was things kept getting a little bit bigger and bigger. I mean, the first week was just primarily John and Steve Carell on, you know, Skype or on Zoom. Um, and then from there, it was like, all right, well, let's add in the Hamilton cast. And then, all right, let's have them go to Fenway with, you know, like the Red Sox and, you know, have that whole element. And then a cooking show and then a live prom. So we kind of got to the point that we needed multiple editors working on it. So especially in the later weeks, we would kind of break it into sections. So uh, when we were doing the wedding office Zoom, uh, we worked with a great editor, Ernie Gilbert in LA, and he just kind of owned that section. And I owned the news part because otherwise it would have been too much for one person to do in 72 hours. And so he knew all of that footage inside and out. And I knew all of the news segments so that when we got notes, we could just go, go, go. Uh, and then really only for the last maybe 12 hours of the day, like midday on Sunday, it was like, okay, let's put it all together, stitch it together and then go from there. Uh, but otherwise it just seemed like it would have been impossible to kind of keep up with the rounds and making everyone happy if we hadn't like broken it down into segments. Um, so once we kind of figured out the best breaking points for that, we were able to kind of pass things back and forth a little more. And it was fun to send a cut to Ernie and be like, what do you think? Does anything feel weird here? Or, you know, kind of like go back and forth and, then, you know, as he's doing notes, he's like, actually, I saw this in the footage. You should use that. And uh, it was good to like tag team it because it's going so fast. You're like, I guess I just need to trust my gut and make this cut. And so it's great having the immediate team and then another editor to be like, this makes sense, right? Like, this is good and heartwarming because you sometimes lose track of that in the whirlwind. Now, you had 72 hours with the content. How much of that 72 hours were you working? Because, I mean, you got to sleep, right? But yeah, I yeah, imagine yeah. some pretty heavy days. <laughs> 71 points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that was also the great thing about working with people on the West Coast was, um, you know, we would start working at, you know, we would maybe do like a 12 hour day most of those days. So like 10 to 10. But if they started at, you know, one our time, then they could keep going for another three hours. So on those days, it was kind of fun to wake up in the morning and be like, okay, what did they get done last night? Or, you know, seeing that they sent a Slack link at two in the morning our time. And I was like, oh, man, yeah, I was definitely needed to sleep. Um, so basically I would say from like end of day Thursday through end of day Sunday was like, you know, you break to eat and, you know, take a quick walk around the block and then you're like back in until you go to sleep. So thank you to my boyfriend for cooking for me all of those <laughs> days. I was like, I'll eat anything. Just make me food. Um, but it was a fun marathon for sure. And, you know, waking up on Monday morning, like exhausted and just like, how did we pull that off to then see like the views just coming in and getting texts from family members being like, this part made me cry or I loved this. Like, um, I kept saying to the team every week, my grandma would text me and be like, I loved this part. So that was just a fun way to connect and be like, literally 12 hours ago, I was, you know, crazy putting this together. And now everyone in the world is seeing it. That is very surreal. So, uh, regarding the tools that you guys are using, um, you know, I know that um, our audience always likes to hear when when people who are working on big projects are using tools that they're using. So I've heard Slack so far. You guys are using Google Documents to collaborate on um, sort of organizational aspects of it. I understand. Uh, I've, I've heard a rumor that you guys are Premier users. Is that right? Correct. I'm a Premier diehard. I'll uh-huh. put up with all the bugs. I love it still. <laughs> now, when you guys are, um, you know, collaborating with other editors are you literally sending uh premiere files back and forth or or are you uploading videos to you know the web and and sharing the the cut as it's assembled so when we're sending them to clients we'll we'll export videos and share them primarily on i guess we transfer in in vimeo um and then we'll send premiere projects back and forth uh over slack or more likely actually in we transfer and be like you know i ripped these three videos here are the missing assets and here's the project, um, you know, making it really clear what the sequence is. And if the project is getting a little bit too heavy, uh, we just export, you know, just that sequence to make it a lighter project. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when you're sending those files back and forth, are, are your collaborators actually like making adjustments in the timeline and sending them back to you saying, here's, here's what I did to it? Yeah. So the, we definitely use like the markers feature a lot to kind of be like, you know, this section changed or um, need to add transition here or not crazy about the music. Um, we definitely were able to leave each other little notes of like, here's what changed from last time. Cause it was easy to kind of get lost in that if we're doing a lot of cuts and sending them back and forth. Interesting. So, um, so uh, uh, sorry, one second. I had a technical uh, glitch here. I heard a little uh, a little music in there. Yeah, one of the downsides of uh, of working out of the office here. <laughs> I was gonna say I heard a little bit of noise back here too, so it could have been. <laughs> <laughs> if you need me to redo anything, let me know. <laughs> okay, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Um, so what was it? What was it like with the the file transfers? Like, is is John like literally using his iPhone or, or his phone to capture this footage? Or are you sending? like major files back and forth. It must be difficult on, on home networks, I'd imagine. Yeah. I mean, Evan, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe John was just had two iPhones basically set up on tripods and 
every once in a while he would, you know, you'd see him setting it up and he did a couple of time lapses throughout the season of seeing his uh, section uh, going like that. Um, you know, setting up everything to get things ready for the audience, but he was really just using iPhones. And so the files were relatively light going back and forth, which was really nice. Um, once we started getting into some of the zooms that were a little bit longer, the files got slightly bigger, but again, we weren't really sending 4k footage back and forth. And that also was just a necessity, but also worked for the aesthetic of the show to keep things, you know, around 1080p. So I want to throw like a curveball at you guys. And if you don't have a, an easy answer, that's okay. But who um, shot JFK? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm wondering um, if you have a, like a single tip that you were going to give an editor, uh, like an editor who's like coming up in the industry or, or an editor who just wants to improve their skills. Um, what would that, what would that tip be? What, what's that, that secret? And um Joanna, maybe since you, so you're leading the uh, discussion on editing uh, first. All right, that's a good question. Um, I think my tip would be don't be afraid to kind of put a bomb in your edit and try something completely weird and different. Um, I think it can be scary to kind of take something apart and put it back together. Um, but when I get to the point where I'm like kind of happy with an edit and don't know what to do next, I always just like duplicate the sequence and then try to basically make either the shortest or longest possible version of something. Um, something that I love when I'm cutting a short film or like a feature film is to try to cut like a mini trailer, even if it's not going to go anywhere, just to be like, okay, what if I distill this down to just the most essential information, what do I need to put in it? And that usually helps me going back to the edit to be like, oh, this was totally unnecessary. Why was I putting so much weight in this? Or actually, this is like the crux of what we're trying to say. So I think that's especially helpful in narrative, but documentary too, if you're trying to tell a story, there's so many ways that it can go. If you really just try to distill it down, um, that really helps me kind of shed some light on what's most important. Um, so I'd say, yeah, don't be afraid to take risks and know that like in modern editing, you can always go back to where you were. So why not just, you know, play around and have fun because a lot of times happy accidents will just, you know, be your favorite, end up being your favorite part of a project. So that's like the, uh, the, the modern uh, way to force yourself into killing your darlings, I guess, right? That yeah, <laughs> maybe that's what I'm saying. Don't be too <laughs> precious with anything. Cause I think that's really the role of an editor too, is, you know, if you're writing a project, if you're directing a project, you're so close to it. Like it's our job as editors to be you know, really honest and thoughtful about what can go in order to tell the best story. And we're the first audience coming to the footage. We need to have good instincts about what's working and what's not. And, you know, if it's not working, sometimes you have to be the bearer of bad news, but if it's the right choice, then you got to fight for that. And I would imagine that, you know, running a post house as you guys do, that must happen all the time where you're in love with a certain sequence or a certain, you know, way that you edited something and your client just kills it, right? Like, does yeah. it take a while to develop a, a thick skin for that kind of thing? Yeah, I think you got to learn not to get too attached to some things or know, you know, when to fight for them. And I think uh, choosing your battles is something that you learn just from experience where sometimes you're like, am I really attached to this because it's the best possible thing for this piece or just because I was up till two in the morning cutting it? And just because you spent 12 hours working on something doesn't mean it's good. So if you really, you know, think that what you did was worth keeping, then choose those moments to fight for. Cause if you just push back on everything, then 
people won't really take it seriously when you're like, no, 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 we need to keep this in uh, regardless of how long you worked on it. Good advice. Evan, you have a secret for, uh, for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, as may have become pretty apparent by now, I'm not an editor. Uh, so uh, on that side, I, I probably don't have the best advice. My advice would land you as not an editor, because that's what happened. <laughs> um, not, not don't be an editor, right? You know, not don't be an editor, but if you follow my advice, you probably will not end up as an editor. <laughs> um, that said, uh, from the other side of things, coming from the perspective of someone who has worked with a lot of editors and who works with editors all the time, um, I would say my one piece of advice for editors who are starting out would be don't ever not take a job because you think it's beneath you um, or because the money is bad or because, you know, something that like at an early phase is like, you know, could be seen as insulting just because so often, you know, in this industry, it moves so fast, both on the production and, you know, on the original side and on the commercial side that you just, you find the people you find in crazy situations where maybe the job doesn't have enough money or it's too fast. And I found that people who are willing to just dive in to jobs like that, I've worked with for years. And what would have seemed like a pretty weird job originally, um, you know, has led to decades of like work and great experiences with someone. So I would just say, uh, you know, don't ever turn something down that's a small thing or that you think is beneath you. All right, great advice. And I'm, he I'm hearing that someone's cat sounds like yeah, you're hungry or something. And also, don't ever lock your cat. Or, you know, is <laughs> mine. So, <laughs> sorry about that, guys. No, it, it, no worries. It, it, it's good timing, and maybe that's a, it's a good spot to uh, to wrap it up. Um, the cat so, says it's done, so we got to yeah, end it. Cat says podcast is over. That is over it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Joanna, Evan, thanks so much for giving us some time today. Yes, of course. This was really fun. Thank you guys so much for having us. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks to our guests, Joanna Noggle and Evan Buxbaum, for joining us. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, we'd love it if you went to iTunes or Spotify or whatever podcast app you use and hit the subscribe button. It's a big help for uh, small podcasts like ours. For Chris Monlux and everyone here at Videomaker, I'm Mike Wilhelm, and you've been listening to the Videomaker Podcast. We'll catch you next time.